This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Listen to the new Thin Green Line podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Game wardens John Norris and Wayne Saunders talk about wildlife, the outdoors, law enforcement, environmental subjects mixed with current events and guests that are part of the Thin Green Line. And if you are one of those visual people, like me, for $5 a month, you can see the actual podcast on Patreon.com. Just search the Thin Green Line podcast on Patreon.com and join us. The Copper Pig Brewery in Lancaster, New Hampshire, is brewing traditional and innovative high-quality beers, as well as serving a large menu of creative comfort foods, appealing to all walks of life, with daily specials sourcing many ingredients locally. Charitable involvement and support of their community is the cornerstone to the Copper Pig Brewery's mission. Voted number one in New Hampshire by WMUR Viewers' Choice two years in a row, 2018 and 2019. Please join me at the Copper Pig. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun 
all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, Episode 50, Sean Cronsberry, Ontario. And Sean, Ontario, Fish and Wildlife, Ministry of Conservation. I should have done a little more research as I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Ontario is uh, deemed uh, Ontario Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry. I, I know. It's always, you, you guys have such an elevated name usually. So it's not Fish and Game, it's not Fish and Wildlife, it's something professional, but... Yeah, it's just to say, at least try to keep it professional, you know, but uh, it's always a mouthful. It's <laughs> yeah, it barely fits on the hat if you're watching Patreon. We got John back with us. I'm so excited. We've had a couple episodes without John because John's been on the road. He's been teaching. He's been back to California. He's been doing a lot of stuff. So, John, why don't you update us on what you've done because I've watched some of these podcasts you're on and you're doing a heck of a job. That's, that's great. It's been looks like it's been fun. Yeah, guys. Well, first and foremost, it's it's uh, good to be back on co-hosting. And Sean, great to have you on the show, man. I know you and I have been uh, dialoguing back and forth for the better part of a year. And uh, we haven't had too many guys really getting that, that Canadian influence. And uh, with you being a canine handler to boot and a lab canine handler near and dear to me, you know, given my background, it's super cool to have Sean on today. And just been an amazing fall, man. I mean, even through COVID, guys, as, as, as bad as it's been, like you said, Wayne, that we've been really blessed to, to have a lot of good uh, responses, a lot of good outreach, both in person and on the Zoom format like we're doing today. Fall hunting seasons have been refreshing to get out in some fresh air and not worry so much about the whole COVID pandemic, election drama, all that good stuff. So, yeah, we're going into the holidays right now. And Sean, you are our 50th, 50th episode, which is kind of a kind of a little anniversary here yeah. for Warden's Watch, Wayne. No doubt. That's man. great. So uh, this is a special one, brother. We're really glad to have you on today. And I think thank you guys for having me for sure. Yeah, and number fifty marks. We're in Canada now. We we have just crossed the border, and sometimes yep. that's a big issue to do. Unless you're on the you're you're on the brush or the the no man's land, so to speak. Uh, I've done that a few times. <laughs> Step across by accident occasionally. I, I might have had some guys get lost on your side of the country one time on a ATV, but you know it happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Border Patrol never likes it when it happens, but it happens. <laughs> there's uh, there's a lot of different stuff. Uh, when we border Canada and Quebec, there is a lot of hunting that goes on. And I think we, we seem to be more restrictive, Sean, than sometimes you guys are. Uh, like our moose is a, a, a Dara tag. They, they seem to buy over-the-counter cows, calves, bulls uh, one year and alternate. So we have a there's a better moose population closer to the border, our deer population. Sometimes, actually, I think it influences the other way because there's a lot of agriculture on the other side. So I think a lot of our deer actually spend some time in Canada, come back and grow big because there's some ser- serious uh, large deer that are killed near the border. And I think they benefit from the agricultural side uh, on the Can- Canadian side. So that's, that's pretty awesome. So we, we definitely have a lot of influences and we work well together, especially when it comes to big cases. Any cases that you've worked with the U.S. and stuff with? 
Um, well, back to my earlier career, actually, I worked up in at a Sault Ste. Marie. So um, we did quite a bit of border stuff up there with uh, with Michigan. Um, we did a lot of uh, border initiatives between the two sides and also worked with your uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife as well, helping them uh, enforce the Lacey's Act a few times when I was up there. Um, now down where I'm based out of in the southwestern part of the province here, we do a bit of border stuff down Niagara Way, obviously, with the borders down there and also in the Windsor and Sarnia area. But um, a lot of it has to do with just phoning uh, you guys down the southern part of um, across the border. And just um, we work hand in hand lots doing that with with phone calls to follow up with our non-resident uh, people that come up to enjoy our resources here. Yeah, and I'm just uh, we, <laughs> your English speaking, which is kind of nice because working in Quebec, sometimes uh, when we did have some border issues, we'd have to wait for a, a game warden from Quebec to come for to be an interpreter. Well, that could take. Yeah. I think we waited maybe four hours <laughs> to, uh, yeah. to get an interpreter, and because you just you, you want to make sure you know what these guys are saying. So, and we were in the slash on no man's land, you know, holding. Uh, you know, it's it's just kind of weird that that fifty foot slosh there. That you know, it's really not the U.S. It's really not Canada, and yet there's a lot of hunting and <laughs> stuff goes on either side. So that that that's been our experience. So that's uh, kind of nice to to have an Ontario guy. The only thing we have to hear is a a lot. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Sean, you know, we, we get that a lot. I'm up in northwestern Montana now, like 29 miles from the Alberta border there in the Yak Wilderness. So we're, we're kind of like one community. You know, we have so many of uh, the Alberta residents and we work so hand in hand with those game wardens up there. A lot on Lasiak stuff because of that Yak corridor. You know, that's a big, big hotspot for Border Patrol, too, with everything from narcotics coming in and, you know, illegal border crossings and, and trafficking and, and stuff like that. So it, it's it's kind of a hotbed, you know, for, for that type of deal. But it's it's really tuned me into working with the Canadian province, especially the Alberta guys, a lot more. Kind of a force multiplier there, and it's been re- really, uh, really interesting to do. So this is great having you on, man, for the first time. And we always got to ask that question and, you know, we're, we're all dog lovers here and we're going to get to that. I don't want to yeah. jump too far ahead, but how did it all start for you, brother? I mean, from the standpoint of you even wanting to become a game warden, what, what, did you have that conservation background like some of us had? Did you meet a game warden early or what's, what's your backstory? Yeah, I think right at the end there, John, you hit the nail on the head uh, when I met a game warden early and it was, it was, I was young fishing. I grew up, um, I know you guys won't be totally familiar with our province here, but uh, Lake Simcoe is one of our biggest water bodies here in the province. And I grew up right on Lake Simcoe. So I spent a lot of my childhood um, when I had that extra time. Obviously, we didn't have the electronics back then. So we actually spent the time out fishing and and doing that. And I remember fishing down uh, on a river and running into a couple of game wardens one day. They came and ran into us and this, it kind of floored me going, there's actual people that do this. Right. And, and we all had that interaction and, and it's like, this is amazing. So it was just one of those things I was checked at a very young age. And I remember going home and asking my parents about it and it just kind of snowballed from there. And I remember also one time in, uh, in high school and they had a computer system and just typed in your interests in the computer system and whatnot. And it, it popped up as being a park ranger or game warden. So it just kind of, one of those things, and my family wasn't into the whole, they didn't, uh, my dad wasn't a game warden, no one in my family was a game warden, not really much of a law enforcement um, background in our family either, so it was just kind of one of those things. My grandfather grew up um, fishing on Lake Simcoe, he was every day out ice fishing on Lake Simcoe, and I would hang out with him, and it just kind of snowballed from there, and that's how my interest peaked, and I stuck with it, so. 
So, so at what point did you actually go through the hiring process? How old were you? And did, you know, did you do your degree before that or what was the process there? Yeah. So here in Ontario, we have a couple of schools that actually do um, natural resources uh, based schooling. So Sir Sanford Fleming College, it's based out of Lindsay, Ontario. Um, it's uh, in the eastern part of our province here in the southeast. And they're a natural resources based uh, college. So um, I signed up and got accepted in there. Uh, my first two years was, uh, was being um, fish and wildlife. It was a fish and wildlife technician program. So it ran through all the fish and wildlife officers here in the province of Ontario, taught us the resource background. Um, and then there was a third year, a post-diploma program, which is a natural resources law enforcement program, which was based and geared towards mainly becoming a conservation officer here in the province of Ontario, but also throughout our, our country here in, in Canada. But it also snowballed too. It covered off uh, parks as well. Parks is separate here in Ontario. So we have uh, provincial parks and covered off a few other things, but mainly based to become a conservation officer. And that's what I, what I took is just those three years of uh, schooling to become a conservation officer. That's awesome, man. Once you saw it, you didn't hold back. You went straight for it. That's cool. And so you got it. You got it pretty young. And how long have you been operational now? And how many years? Uh, so I started um, as a deputy conservation officer here in the province. So um, we no longer have the program I was in. There's a couple of um, people that have been grandfathered in. We still do have a volunteer deputy conservation officer program, kind of like a cadet program. So I volunteered. I got right out of college. Um, I became a park warden, worked as a park warden in a couple of provincial parks. So get a little bit of a law enforcement background. I actually got my foot in the door with the Ministry of Natural Resources. Our parks have since uh, switched over to the Ministry of Environment um, just a few years ago. But it got me my foot in the door, law enforcement. Obviously, game wardens or conservation officers here in, in Ontario would come into the parks as well. And um, the one park I did work at was right on Lake Simcoe. So Nice. The, the game wardens or conservation officers posted their snowmobiles and the, their uh, marine units for Lake Simcoe right out of the park. So I hand in hand, I'd get to run into them. I basically, then I became, a, I worked as a fish and wildlife technician on Lake Simcoe. So I get a little handling with some fish and, you know, it, it extremely, I, I still benefit from that because it, it helped build my fish identification skills, right? You're handling fish and right. Lake Simcoe has every fish species, like, that you could even imagine. So it helped with that, but also it did help me, like I said, get face to face with the, with Ontario game wardens here. And, and I ended up eventually getting uh, my foot in the door with one of the local conservation officers. And um, I started off just volunteering with him uh, back then. We were still allowed to volunteer. And I put in, I was trying to remember, but I knew I put in over a thousand, a thousand hours of volunteer time wow. with him. <laughs> Um, and it was one of those things and I had a good, good chuckle out of it because it just it brought back some memories because it was quite a while ago about um, at the time it was uh, he was called my second girlfriend at the time because I just <laughs> dropped whatever I could do and, and go and, and work with him and get my volunteer time just to show my dedication right and yeah yeah and constantly as Mitch Finney is now retired but he was a dedicated uh, conservation officer in Ontario and, and I would work day and night with him and yeah. So anyway, just worked thousands of hours with him. And then eventually I got on as a deputy conservation officer. So got a badge, uh, worked as a deputy, was allowed to work as in uniform, work alongside of a full-time conservation officer. And um, once I finished that, I, I snowballed. They, they developed an enforcement internship program here in Ontario as well to help groom people like myself at that time to become a full-time conservation officer. Uh, so I got hired on. And I got deployed to Sault Ste. Marie, which is the northeastern part of uh, the province here. 
and worked as a, an enforcement inter- internship there for a couple of years. Yeah, no, that's that's sounds like you started that foundation really, really good. Like a lot of us do, but sometimes a lot of us don't. So it's, it's pretty interesting to see the differences like that. Lake Simcoe, can you give us a kind of an idea on size? Because I know sometimes in Ontario, these, these lakes are quite large. So I'm, you know, that's what I'm picturing when it comes to that. So you got fisheries, you got parks, you got camps. Yeah, so Lake Simcoe, I wouldn't even know the square the square footage of it, but it, it's it's one of our bigger lakes here in the province. So it, it does encompass quite a bit of southern Ontario. Um, it, it borders two of our main districts for us. Um, Midhurst District and Aurora District are two of our enforcement units that do cover cover Lake Simcoe. So that's how big it is. It's actually divided in half. So two of our different detachments do cover off that lake. And when I was working as a fish tech, and this is just to put a little number inside your heads, is that um, we would obviously do creel surveys and cover off for ice shacks, as what you call them south of the border there, or okay. shanties. But uh, fish huts, we would have around 2,500 to 3,000 fish huts alone on that lake. Wow. Um, so that was permanent fish huts. So, and then we'd also have your portables and people this open, open holing as well. So it, it, it definitely is a massive lake and um, it definitely covers a lot of square footage, but it, it's huge. So you'd have shanty towns out there? Yeah, so we have um, definitely our commercial shanty towns, and you have your your locals that will set up their own little shanty towns that could have themselves uh, obviously hand in hand, whether they're so walk away to go to each other's huts. And there's a few spots to kind of remind us of uh, the grumpy old men scenario there, where they plow roads out to their huts and 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 have that. So it's definitely that's what you see out there as well. What do you call them? Do you call them shanties, bob houses? Well, what's a your terminology? House. A fish house. Fish house are, that, is our most common term here. I was yeah. going to say that's way too straightforward, Sean. Way too straightforward. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. How, do you have lake trout? Yeah, so uh, Simcoe, yeah, definitely has lake trout in it. Uh, whitefish are the two common species that people fish for in the wintertime. Um, and what do you call your lake trout? Uh, pardon me? What do you call your lake trout? Uh, this lake trout, yeah. Okay. Do, you've heard the term togue before? I have not. No, you have not. Okay, it's it's very strange, and and it's it's just a Maine thing. If you go to Maine, a lake trout is called a togue. So, and I thought it was a, I thought it might be, I thought it was a Canadian thing. So that's why I I threw that out there, just because it's one of those things that only because we border Maine do I know what a togue is. But I thought maybe it was a Canadian thing, and that's where it came from. Unless I've been kept in the dark all these years, I've I've never heard of it. No. Okay. Well, that's just a little bit of information that I, you know, when we talk about lakes and lake trout, I like to throw out a little different thing. So we'll get a Maine game warden on sometime and uh, talk about togue. And he, and he, won't, he won't even won't even miss a beat. He'll know exactly yeah. what that is. Well, I just didn't know if you had different names. I mean, where you had an ice house is an ice house and not a shanty or a bob house or any of these other things. It makes sense. It would just be a lake trout. <laughs> Straightforward is good. Pretty so, plain. Pretty plain and simple here, yeah. Pretty, pretty plain and simple. Uh, those, are, those are useless facts for today. Yeah, so I can continue on there, guys. It. it I, I skipped one little part there is working as a park warden. I ended up scoring this one little hot job um, and worked as a central zone warden. Like, so a park warden, but we call this wardens back then. And that's kind of another position that built into me wanting, well, continue on, but it was basically, here's a truck. You got to cover five or, or I think it was 10 different parks. And this is one, here's your truck. And you just went and it, it, it just snowballed from there. I got to do a lot of interior patrols. Uh, we camped out, out in these parks, um, 
you know, pack a couple of tents and away you went and stayed. And you were just mainly looking for, uh, for campers and resource users as well, just to make sure they weren't cutting trees down and littering and, and whatnot. So, it, and that's where I snowballed from there and went into the enforcement internship in Sault Ste. Marie. And as I said, it was uh, definitely a, a life changer for me working up in, in the north because I stayed in southern Ontario for the most part uh, for my growing up. So as you all know, uh, the province here in Ontario is pretty, pretty mass and huge. And it's, yeah, um, yeah. you go from southern Ontario where, where Wayne was saying, you know, a lot of agriculture area and farm fields to city living. And as you keep continuing up north, you get into a little bit of the hills and, and mountains and and it's a complete game changer. So a Southern Ontario kid basically going up into Sault Ste. Marie was a was definitely and I wouldn't change for a world girl or working on Lake Superior. Um, and you had the border towns and a lot of the remote remote lakes and then of course there's moose hunting. We don't have moose down where I am here in, in southwestern Ontario, but so I went from uh, an internship and I worked there for, like I said, for two seasons. So I did uh, 18 months as an intern, but I, I actually got hired on full time as I was still an active intern. And I got hired on um, actually as a mar- one of our Marine officers. So we were called a Lake Unit Officer then. I got hired on out of Owen Sound and worked on the Great Lakes um, as part of my first full time gig. So my main enforcement background there, my main enforcement authority and and coverage was doing Great Lakes and commercial fish enforcement. So we covered a huge area there of part of Georgian Bay and Lake Huron as a lake officer. And then I make the joke now as I traded in my boat keys to chase a dog around. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so Sean, are you in Sault Ste. Marie now and you're on an interior district? Is that kind of your home district now or how has it changed? Because where you're at and, you know, since we've gotten to know each other and following what you're doing out there, you've got a lot of interior you know, traditional hunting stuff, but you still got the water element and angling and, and fish species. And then all those great things you and your dog do. So tell us about your new district and, and what's it looking like? Yeah. So I did, t- I did, like I said, John, two years, about 18 months in Sault Ste. Marie. And then um, if you just basically almost draw a straight line South is basically how I, I managed to end up. So I went down to Owen Sound Okay. Um, and covered the water out of there. And I was there for about four years. Um, I sat um, in Owen Sound doing the um, the lake unit stuff for about four years. But we also had a responsibility, not necessarily just doing lake lake stuff, but um, during the fall, obviously, I'd assist our inland districts with the deer hunt, turkey season, I'd help with them. And then um, also would have our own responsibilities. We had a couple of islands, uh, they're private islands out on Georgian Bay as well that had some hunting going on. So we'd be responsible for covering off that island patrol as well. And then, um, like I said, if you discontinued drawing a straight line south again, I ended up, I currently live in Kitchener, Ontario, which is southwestern Ontario. And I'm my base, home base for work is Guelph. I'm based out of our southwest headquarters, if you so want to call it that as a canine handler and my responsibility now as a canine handler is I cover basically all of Southwestern Ontario and part of central Ontario with the dog. Gotcha. So in comparison to what Wayne and I do here in the States, and we were both lieutenants before we retired. So we had a general district that we were responsible for and we might've had, and Wayne, correct me if I'm wrong, but the numbers are usually between five and, you know, on a, on a really, really big area, maybe 10 game wardens under us when we were doing the patrol thing. Now, when I went to special ops, that was different because the team was larger and it wasn't just delineated to one area of the province. It was state, it was statewide, as you know, but from the traditional patrol standpoint, we probably had 
you know, two, 300 square miles at least, if not much more than that, that our district would, would entail. So how do you guys fit into that? And do you, does your supervisor oversee several wardens? Do you respond to one person or <clears throat> how's that all play out? Yeah, so as canine handlers here, we have our own dedicated canine unit. I basically uh, report to my staff sergeant, who's, our, who's the staff sergeant for our canine unit. Um, he reports to a staff superintendent. Um, and then they obviously go up further as to our, we have deputy chiefs and then our, our director or chief here in Ontario. So I report directly to my staff sergeant, who's also our, our master trainer for our canine unit. Currently, we have six uh, handlers here in the province, and we report directly to him. And, and the six handlers are obviously, they're scattered throughout the province. So I, I can mirror off a bit and go to the, the local officers that have, we have our own districts or regions um, that are, are divide the province up. And so like I said, with Lake Simcoe, we had Midhurst and Aurora. So they would have a designated, again, a staff super or a staff sergeant, and, they, and there would be six to seven or five game wardens, field officers that report directly to them that will cover that district. And then we'll have a game warden that essentially will cover a county to themselves is, is roughly what we're at right now here in Ontario. So that county would take up a bunch of townships within that county or a region, and they would be responsible for that for that area. Well, wow, so, but as a canine handler, Sean, like you said, you're roaming all the time. You're going way out of a, a localized district. If an officer needs a detection job done or a search and recovery or, or any of those different things. So how, you're province-wide then, it sounds like, kind of like our canine handlers are here in California. Yeah, very similar, uh, John. And, and so I cover, like I said, southwestern Ontario, and we used to have a region, so southwestern region. My next closest canine handler to me or my partner is about two and a half hours away from me to the east. Okay. Um, so him and I basically cover all of southern Ontario for canine responsibilities, but you hit the nail on the head, John, is that we're a provincial asset. So I may be logged on one day and another handler that may be out of Sault Ste. Marie could be off and I'm the closest handler to respond. And so I'll be traveling who knows how far to go up and, and assist where need be. So it, it, it's forever changing. And that's kind of what um, drove me into this job as well um, to be a handler. Cause it, it's never the same calls twice and we get to cover so much mass terrain here in Ontario that it's we get to do the fun stuff is basically what I'm getting at and then it's so enjoyable to be able to cover so much and, and go and assist where we can. Yeah that's the coolest thing about the canine thing right Sean and uh, you know having worked with them forever and having two good handlers on our on our unit toward the end of my career the the richness of the added experiences you get as a canine handler one because of the type of cases you're working with that dog and two, all the friends you're making with people you might never see since the academy or maybe at an annual training or if you even do in-service training, you know. So it's super cool you're getting to do that. And I know Wayne's thinking the same thing. We always talk about this on Warden's Watch, but highlight canine cases are the coolest stories ever. We love to hear them. We love to relive them. And our listeners and viewers just, right, Wayne, just love them. Um, and I'm sure you got a bunch of them. And I've, I've gotten to know your dog remotely through social media, you know, and uh, watching what you're doing with him. Tell us a little bit about your highlight canine cases and, and, you know, have you had more than one canine? What's your history been on canines? Because you've been at it for a while. You're a veteran handler and we haven't had that opportunity on the show. So we really appreciate you sharing that if you don't mind. Yeah, no, no. And, and I have goosebumps since you talked about that, John. And, <laughs> and yeah, it, it 
going on saying uh, being a conservation officer was a goal of mine and and I, and I reached that goal obviously um years ago and then my second goal was be was to join the canine unit and yeah. when I was in college taking my law program um the the founder of our canine program actually came and, and did a, a presentation to our law class about the MNR canine unit and what they did. And I was like, right away, I was like, yeah, I'm, I want to be a canine handler. And I had that opportunity and it, it was actually a little bit earlier than I expected. Um, the job came up. I only had four years of full-time service working on the lake unit. And I kind of wanted to get my hands more dirty doing the field work than, but I had to jump on the opportunity. And thankfully I was, I was successful to get the, get the job. And and I started in that canine career back in 2010. And it, it floors me that to say I've already been doing it for 10 years. And wow. And I started my career back in 2010 with a chocolate lab. Um, his name was Timber. And uh, I was partnered up with him um, when I showed up to do my uh, to do my selection course. Actually, um, we do about an eight to 10 day selection course prior to be hired on. They already had him. We, we basically started our bonding right then and there. And I was thankful enough to be re- to rewarded with the job. And um, so he was a, a chocolate lab and it was a unique one because he was our first chocolate lab to graduate our program as well. We've had a couple of lab chocolates before that didn't graduate our program. And um, he was the first one. And back in 2010, when I, when I first started, we, we since uh, eliminated it from our program, but um, we also had our labs were trained in handler protection. So it was definitely unique for us here, especially in Ontario, that we had Labrador retrievers that were also trained in handler protection for, mm. for doing bite work. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's super interesting because that's something we've never really entertained, and you don't think of bite work being done by labs because of their uh, you know their social uh, disposition. Yeah, and more like a Chesapeake Bay retriever should be doing that. <laughs> just saying, from the standpoint of using labs for uh, bite work and, and pr- handler protection. How effective was that? Did you guys have any growing pains through that part of the program? Because we just don't see that much in the canine world, you know? Yeah, and and, and to have a, a perfect statistic, and, and we, we were always thankful to this, is that even since our program was founded in 1990, and they, they, they did basically handler protection, they did disarming with the dogs back at the beginning, and operationally, and even to this day, we've never had one of our dogs had to be deployed to bite somebody. And and that's a stat we obviously, as law enforcement officers, love to have. So that that was one of the things that kind of steered us in the direction of eliminating it. And also, as you said, John, it, it was tough on our dogs as well to, especially during the selection process, as you already said, it's hard with a lab and being a social dog. Mm. And we were losing a lot of good dogs that were basically what we wanted for tracking and detection work, we we're losing a lot of good labs because they wouldn't go into that protection mode. So we were washing labs out of our program that wouldn't bite, but could be a phenomenal tracking dog and a phenomenal detection dog. But at the end of the day, we needed a dog that would still potentially bite. So we were washing them out. And that's kind of why we steered in the direction we are today with eliminating that bite work and may, and now we can just, we don't have to worry about it. And we're sitting here with some phenomenal dogs in our program now. Yeah. Especially when it's so hard to find the right dog that does that job so well and all the money and the training and the time and the handler canine bonding process, and then to lose them to, uh, to, you know, not being able to do that one unique task that you yep. guys haven't had to, that, like you said, Sean, you fortunately haven't had to use much or at all. That being said, do you guys have any bite or or uh, you know um, protection dogs in the in the mal class or the shepherd class, or do you guys strictly stay with labs because that's the majority of the work you're doing? 
Yeah, so we strict, strictly stick with labs. Um, back in the day, we did have a, a shepherd in our program, um, but um, our agency is more more suited and want us to use the the floppier dogs, as we call them here in, in the labs. And, and like I said, John, like our bread and butter here in Ontario for for deployment stuff is is a lot of it's ninety nine percent of our work is detection based stuff. So we're doing evidence recovery calls. Um, so obviously labs are, are suited for what we need. Um, we also spin off to say they they fit into our line of work as well. So if we are, happen to be doing any plain clothes work, obviously the labs are going to fit into the, to what we're doing for sitting on the edge of a duck pond, uh, you know, look, waiting for those, um, hunters that have baited the pond we're, we're fitting in. Right. So we're not sitting there with a mal or a shep, not saying that we, we have obviously looked and maybe, um, looked at them but it's just one of those things that it's our program and the way our agency wants is we stick with the labs yeah it's, it seems to fit you guys really really well and, and as big as the province is and as much waterfowl and other detection and general conservation uses it's ideal how, how big is your canine force if you can talk about that a little bit for the whole province yeah so um, our province currently right now is divided into uh, three regions we have southern region uh, northeast region and northwest region and we have two active handlers per region so uh, we're, we have six handlers right now in the province uh, we also have like i said our staff sergeant who is our master trainer he has a dog with him as well um, he doesn't really deploy to do many calls but he just has that dog as a spare and obviously to keep his uh, training skills fine-tuned as well right to, to help us with our recertification and 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 our standard. So six dogs for the province. And um, like I said, we cover a, a huge area and we're all currently running labs. We have one dog up in Northwestern Ontario. That's looks like we don't even know what it is, but it's a lab could be a collie mix or shepherd Australian shepherd mix. Mm, Super brains. cool. And you've got, you started with timber and I know, I know I, I'm reading Wayne's mind on some of the questions that are coming next, but as we, as we dive farther down the, uh, the rabbit hole of canines, you're not working with Timber now. Tell us about uh, your latest dog. Yeah, so Timber uh, retired. Um, geez, my, and like my memory's going here on me. But uh, Timber retired last um, summer. Uh, oh, okay. He retired. Uh, he he did about nine years of service for us here in Ontario. That's awesome. Um, so retired him, and now I'm uh, operating uh, Canine Blaze. Um, so he's a yellow lab, and him and I started last summer or two summers ago. See, I'm already mixed up already. What my <laughs> what my dates are going off here, but. Um, I went on parental leave last year, so I'm just I'm just trying. Or this year, see, my mind's going on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but of, 2020, buddy's been kind of a wash. It's been it, like, it has been. It's it's. I think I it's been rough on everybody. If you can even count it as a year, you know, because we've lost so much progress in some areas. But yeah, I've been I've been watching what's been happening with uh, with your new canine. You know, following you on social media and whatnot. And how's that training bonding? you know, application in the field experience gone so far with all the lockdowns and all the changes that we've experienced with this worldwide pandemic. It's been quite a challenge, but it seems like you guys are still getting some good stuff going out there this year, huh? Yeah. And then uh, I think just before you joined on the conversation there, uh, John, Wayne and I were talking about that. And I know a lot of our bordering uh, units and detachments that, that, that work the borders have noticed a huge difference with no, our non-residents not being able to cross the border. So it, it's, definitely slowed a few things down for us here in Ontario, but obviously we still, we noticed this year too, that our recreational uh, license sales for fishing and hunting, both were above average. So we we had some, obviously some locals deciding that they're going to fish and hunt this year that probably never had the opportunity before because obviously people being locked down with, with work. 
Yeah, it, it's been uh, an amazing year. And like I said, uh, just to go back, I was off for eight months um, on parental leave. The, the dog and I both sat idle for eight months and I kept him here at home. Tried to get a few things done here at home when I was off of them, but obviously looking after a little guy and, and the dog, it was a, a bit of a bit of a challenge. But we came right out of the gate. Um, we started back to work here in September. Luckily, my uh, staff sergeant and trainer is stationed out of Guelph with me. So I had the opportunity to, to take advantage of that. And we, we got the dog and myself got the, the dust wiped off the uniform and <laughs> yeah. off his fur. And uh, we were back up and running in no time, recertified and ready to hit the road. And, and as you know, going from one dog where, especially your first dog and, and Timber in my chocolate lab was a phenomenal dog. He did awesome for us for his nine years of service. And he was a rock star and, and going on to a new dog. And, and I remember working him in the first fall and just having that, those, those growing pains, obviously, because you're working a new dog and, Timber was that type of dog where I could just open the door and let him go. I could sit in the truck and have a sandwich and he would wrap up a case for us. And, and that would be, it. I had all the trust for him in the world and, and he would do go and do the job on his own. And, and just going back to square one with blaze, you know, a couple of headaches, but um, obviously this fall, we, we had a phenomenal fall again and he's definitely moved up a couple of pegs in, in, in my belt and that, that trust has, has grown huge and it's been a phenomenal fall with him. Man, it's it's interesting you say that, Sean, because I mean, these with such parallel experiences. You know, I basically ran two labs on the on the companion detection front. One was Canine uh, Jordan, who I talk about a lot in the first book, and you know, like it sounds like your first dog, right? With uh, uh, just one of those one in a million dogs. You know, she was super intuitive. She would just find the violations. She had a great nose. She was really well-tempered. And then when she passed, and she had about six or seven years of service because she, uh, we didn't even start our canine program really until about 2006, where we started to work, you know, three levels of dogs. Um, and then when she got her cancer in 2010, she was pretty much done working, and we lost her within a year of that. And you know how that is. I mean, just like with canine Phoebe, you know that story and what you went through when you, when you guys lose your dogs. Wayne as well. We've all experienced how heartbreaking that is as partners, as part of us, as part of our force and family members. But I remember with uh, with a little canine Apollo, it was the same thing. She was an English yellow lab, whereas uh, Jordan was an American. And Apollo was one of the smartest dogs, but she just did things different. You know, she had a, a little bit of timidness. And so I was having these expectations that were very unrealistic of a six-month-old pup, you know, that's going through her her obedience and her first-level certifications at an, un, you know, a super young age and just putting way too much expectations on her because I was comparing her to that first dog. Yeah. Uh, but then ultimately, I'm sure like, like, like you're seeing with Blaze right now, she came along great and she ended up doing some amazing things that my first dog didn't do, but it just, it, it was hard transitioning to that second dog when you have that first great relationship with that first canine and, and our handlers are seeing that too on the, on the detection and apprehension front, especially on our, our special operations dogs that we, we talk about a lot in some of the writings and stories we've shared. So I feel for you, man. And this is uh this is really cool with the, you know, seeing blaze out there with you in a transitional year and you're on parental leave and, all, all the growing pains with that, but um, super cool to see that development. Yeah, and, and one thing too, it was great. My agency allowed me to keep my dog. And, we, and like I said, we were off for eight months and, you know, my, my staff sergeant and I had that conversation and I said, I'd love to keep them just to help build with that bond and, and, and maintain that. And, and it was great that way. And 
like I said, it, it, and you hit the nail on the head again, John, is that it was such a frustrating transition. And I remember calling my boss after a couple of calls when I first got a blaze going and I'm like, I don't know, you know, I just don't trust them. I don't know. And he's like, he'll come, he'll come. And now it's, it's gone full circle where I could easily walk out of that, out of the woods or a call with timber and just say like, it's either there, or it's not. And if it's there, he's going to find it. And obviously it's not there. Right. So but it's it's amazing to like you said to watch the different temperament of the dogs and how they respond differently and work differently and 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 now working blaze it, it's it, it didn't it didn't have I found that taking that eight months off I missed out on a couple of opportunities with them because you know as you work the dog more you learn to watch his cues and different things and and we missed out on our on our spring turkey hunt which is busy for me down in southwestern Ontario but and then coming right out of the gate on um, parental and back into the, I call it into the lion's den with our fall here. And then we went out guns ablaze and then and it so happens to say, like, yeah, guns ablaze and ablaze. And it, it worked out well with them that, that we did some phenomenal stuff and some good finds. Yeah, Sean, we need That's a super. game warden story with a dog in here. Says, And I'll tell you there some you of the go. game warden stories That's that I hear uh, being kind of near your border is, you know, they go to Ontario, they get in trouble, you take their trucks, you take their guns, you take their hunting clothes, you drop them off at the border in their tidy whities and you let them walk across. <laughs> so, you know, so we, we need a good game warden story and, and, and throw in a dog story, as, as I hope you will. So, because uh, I'll tell you, our, our, our listeners love these stories, the game warden stories, because uh, everyone seems to be unique, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the one good thing here with it, and, and as you guys know, being both in the canine aspect of things, is that we, we get to be involved in everything and be part of everything, and and as a, as a handler here in Ontario, we don't have our own regions, our own patrol zones. So we're not out actively doing uh, proactive patrolling and, and it's looking for stuff. We're solely responsible for being called out or, or helping with investigations. Or we may jump in with or have one of the, the field officers jump in with us and do a patrol. And and it, and it's great that way because you get to run into the into the full active stuff and and I, I can tell probably a timber story and I could probably tell a good uh, blaze story already, but um you know, and, and we all know as handlers, it's we, we have to rely on the field officers as well to, to call us and rely on to help us with their investigations. And a, a good timber story would be um, one I had in my back of my head, and it still lives lives to this day about uh, an officer was dealing with, um, it, it came in as a simple trespass to hunt. And uh, being in southern part of our province here, it, it's 99% of it's all private property obviously the hunters need to have uh, permission to be able to hunt on the property or even permission to retrieve game here, here in the province. So the field officer just went to go deal with a simple trespass to hunt and he, and he called me up and said, where are you? I was about an hour away. So responded to him and he's like, yeah, I have a trespass to hunt call. And I just need you to find, uh, to find, to see where you could see where this hunter was, was hunting from so we can prove the trespass. And, you know, it, it seemed pretty straightforward and, so away we went and he's like, just to ease my mind, he says, the other guy said he was hunting over here. And he says, just go over and here in Ontario. And I'm sure it's the same down there as you can't hunt over bait right. with for turkey season. So there's a little bit of bait. So we just wanted to make sure the guy didn't shoot. And here we are working away and all of a sudden timber's just sitting there. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense because there's couldn't really see anything. But what happened was, is um, he ended up uh, discovering the guy had uh, two turkey breasts in a in a basically in a plastic garbage bag and he buried it in the in the dirt and had the leaves over top of it <laughs> nice and it was just random we had no clue what even happened and there was timber 
found detected these two turkey breasts. So we're already on cloud nine and I get working timber again. And now he's sitting on the base of a tree. And there was another bag with two more turkey breasts inside the tree. So long story short, we ended up going, they were then they were completely unknown to the officer and completely unknown to anybody other than obviously the the poacher that, that shot the two birds. But um, he ended up shooting two birds and didn't tag them. And obviously we're only allowed in the spring, you're allowed to only harvest one bird per day. So um, the timber detected these two, uh, these two birds that um, would never have been detected if it wasn't for bringing in the dog. Mm. Um, so to this day, it, it still blows me away. And even the officer and I still uh, get a chuckle out of it. Just, uh, just timber working all the time, you know, and, <laughs> and finding things you guys, we, we would never find. I've had so many similar stories and those just amazing, man. And locking up that case and, and also the deterrence factor when you start interviewing some of these suspects, right? And they just see your dog, even if your dog hasn't found anything, and we start Q&A and I'm on, okay, man, we know we heard the shot. This is what we know happened, blah, blah, blah. And I've had so many suspects just completely, all right, I'm going to take you to it. I yeah. know your, your dog already knows, you know, whether they know or not. It's just one of those great, great tools of uh, not only breaking the ice, but making a more effective case. And, man, you, you had a good one there. Yeah, and, and the officer, obviously I follow up the officer, and, and this is going back a few years now when this case happened, but uh, the officer obviously went and interviewed the the two suspects, and they said right away, because I pulled in, they were pulling out, and they said to the to the field officer, he goes, yeah, we knew we were screwed once we saw the canine unit roll in. <laughs> yeah, it ups the game. And it was just... The officer, we all say it, right, as, as law enforcement officers, his spidey senses were going off and he just knew things weren't adding up and called the dog in and there you go, right? So, Yeah. If nothing else is a good interview tool when you pull up, uh, yeah, I got something to tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I might as well tell you now or yeah. there's no point in that in the dog. You know, and I always I chuckle at officers and John said it too, you know, they say they, they just threaten the word canine and they cough it up and I'm like, don't say, wait till I get yeah, there. He's like, go work the dog, right? <laughs> So, so, Sean, with uh, with Blaze being so new and uh, kind of an interesting transition with everything we faced, any good stories with him, or or just just training stories or detection stories you can share? Yeah, like, like I said, um, it, it was a completely different. Uh, Blaze was completely different for me because even the way we selected them, John and, and Wayne, um, we uh, originally Timber came from just from a home here in Ontario. The let the owner of Timber at the time was went and saw one of a uh, one of our canine uh, demonstrations we do throughout the province all the time to get our uh, PR work in and our outreach hours in and he says I think I have a dog for you we went out and bought this dog and didn't realize my wife or fiance or girlfriend at the time was allergic to dogs but we think we may have a dog that you guys may be interested in and that's how we ended up getting timber and I, I don't even know off the top of the head but we only paid a couple hundred bucks for him and Wow. And, and lo and behold, right here, here he was nine years of service and, and being a phenomenal dog for us and cracking a bunch of cases for us. And Blaze and with our new staff sergeant, we ended up picking him up over in Washington State, actually. And um, we went over to a, to a broker in Washington State. So I had the opportunity. We flew out to Vancouver and down into Washington State and went in the, to uh, to him and that's where we got blaze so i had the opportunity as as a experienced handler to actually pick my dog and uh that's how we ended up with blaze like i said it, it was it was a huge mix for me because it was comparing apples and oranges at the beginning with timber and then blaze but and then having that eight months off and now he's he's turned out to be a phenomenal dog and, and this fall um he's 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 done what we want him to do and 
And I said, we had one case that's kind of, it's still active, so I can't really get into the bread and, bread and butter of it, but um, found a, a piece of evidence there that um, it, it, it was actually a call for a police agency, um, Ontario Provincial Police, and it was a, a sudden death call. And uh, we ended up finding a piece of evidence there that helped blow the case open and, and Blaze found it. And it was just one of those ones where if I could retire, I would have wanted to retire that day because it was just one of those ones that, you know, you, you get goosebumps of talking about it and you just want to pack it in and go. I called my boss right after and said, well, I can retire. Right. And it, <laughs> and it was just because of what he found and it was just phenomenal. And it was just it shocked me more than it shocked anybody else. And it's just like, oh, my goodness, like here we are. So. Without getting into the case, can you give us some highlights? That was like a wicked teaser, Sean. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah it, it was a it was a sudden death call, and we so we obviously got involved in it because it, it, we potentially could have been hunting related. So mm. um, we I got called in. I was one of those ones. It was a four hour drive for me to get just to the call. Wow. Because uh, my our closest handler wasn't available. He was on a different call. So I got I got called into it. It was two days old by the time I got there, and. And the dog ended up finding a, a, a bullet. So it, it was just, it was a phenomenal case for us. So mm, Absolutely. It allows That's credence good. through all the law enforcement when uh, they, they, when you do things like that. I know uh, when it comes to homicides and stuff, they call our dogs in. Because, again, I think it's the type of dogs we use in that hunting instinct is really, you know, really keys in really well. So they are better at things than other dogs are. And then other dogs are better at other things. I mean, bite dogs uh, a bite, and that's exactly why you guys switched over to labs because labs aren't, you know, you wouldn't select them for a bite dog. But for a detection dog, basically they're hunting, and that's what they were bred for. They are hunting for something. They are locating it. When they start working, they start working. And it's funny, you know, I, I work, I grew up working with dogs. I trained dogs. I showed dogs. Uh, I'm a 4-H dog leader right now. So when John mentions, you know, an English lab compared to U.S. lab for our listeners, uh, an English lab is usually a little shorter, a little stockier. It's got a, a whole different look than a U.S. lab is. Uh, yeah, the, the U.S. kind of bred whatever it bred, and they're usually a little bigger, a little lankier, and, and that type of thing. And but they all have those basic instincts. Uh, when I think of you know protection dogs and the sporting thing, I think of Chesapeake Bay Retriever because that's the only dog that ever bit me, sneaking up on a duck blind to watch <laughs> duck hunters. And this female, her head went up, and all of a sudden she's smelling the air. And I'm like, oh, that dog's winding me. Well, she came out of that blind like you wouldn't believe and coming right at me. And I stood up and I announced myself. I'm like, game warden. And you should have seen that hunter's eyes. You know, he was scared to death and he was screaming at the top of his lungs at his dog and she came up and she locked on my arm but she never clamped down and she had her eyes locked right on me we're in this staring contest i could see those green eyes that the chesapeake's have and she knew if she bit me it was going to be a bad thing because she could hear this guy was going ballistic running you know and because apparently she bites <laughs> uh, but just you know those types of dogs so uh, you know and i get all excited and, and and to see a dog work and they start getting you know the birdiness but they're detecting yeah. something that they're trained to detect and you know and now you're getting excited when she's getting he's getting birdie that that's excitement to, to, and then to find something that you don't expect that surprise that the sit on the turkey breast a bullet that you know didn't think that was going to be there just changes the whole case it just changes the dynamics of it so and that makes you know next time they're calling sean right away you know i'll, I'll call sean yeah 
Call Sean. Call Sean. Now, you're, you're traveling all the time because the, call Sean. He, he made that case last time. I'm calling Sean. Yeah, I'm not. No, I'm not going in there. Look, I'm sitting back waiting for Sean to show up with a dog. I'm not going to go yeah. in and make all these cross-contaminating trails or anything. That's the truth, right? Yeah, and you guys both know, and that's where we sit back here and just wait for that phone to ring, right? And I was on it even on a day off yesterday and, and hanging out with the little guy and my wife, and the phone rings and. And obviously her being a game warden wife and especially a canine handler, she's like, well, are you going to be home for dinner? I'm like, ah, I don't know. We'll see. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah. It's just, it's always that unknown and the challenge to go in there and, and, and take the dog in. And especially when you're working the dog and you find that unknown and mm. it, it just, to this day, it's it still, it, it excites me and, and people that don't work a dog or see it just don't get it. And you said it, Wayne, you see that birdiness or, we call it the, our gunpowder wag because you just have that different <laughs> tell on the dog, right? And it's like, yeah, he's got it. I like that. that that's that's wag. what we're looking for. Yeah. Oh, great, great, great cases. And, and do, do you take their trucks? Do you take their farms when they're from the U.S.? Do you, do you send them across in their tidy whities man? Because uh, no, I'll tell you, you know that those stories go so far down here. Uh, those guys, they squeak when they walk to Ontario or, or you know, Quebec or anything. They want to be so good that they're, 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 those, those st- stories resonate. <laughs> well, I, would, I wouldn't say I don't think we ever sent someone home in their tidy whities but <laughs> <laughs> that, definitely without their gear, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's those stories that we get laughing about, Wayne, and, and we hear the same with, we got a lot of our uh, locals going into the States too to hunt and it, it, it goes both ways. Right. And, and, and that's the great, that's the greatest part about some of the job, right. Is, is knowing that not, I wouldn't say a fear in, in the people cause we don't want to put the fear in the people, but it's that deterrent. Right. And, yep. and how we both work. And like you said, we're North of the border and this is physically the first time I got to see both of your faces really on, on, on live TV or live screen here. But, it's we deal with the same thing no matter where we are and it's great to hear those types of stories that we know that your people are going home saying we better listen or we're going to be home in our tidy whities so yeah what was your biggest case your greatest case i mean were those some of the ones you shared or because again i I I would say for canine related stuff wayne 100 percent, right like i have a pile of them obviously to to go on about and and it's funny i had another one the other day I, i got called up another one a couple hours away for a shoot from the road investigation and one of our local game wardens is working with one of our Ontario provincial police police officers and and he he right away goes oh this is a different dog and I'm like yeah this is blaze I said the timber's retired and timber's living at home here still and I he goes well I still remember that one case and it was actually one we had to determine whether where this gentleman shot a moose from and we're we're dealing with a swamp up in uh up in central Ontario and moose country for us and and we're working away. He says you shot from one spot. So I go over there and nothing, of course. And, and I found actually some impact site from, uh, from blood and hair the dog found. And I said, well, his, his story is not enough because the, the impact site's telling a different, different trajectory. So away we went to another spot and I'm already up almost to my tidy whiteies soaked already because I'm walking through this swamp. And I see this is a timber case and I see timber all of a sudden, like he put his nose right in the water and I could hear the nose or I could hear the water going up into his nose. I'm like, what is he doing? And I look down and there's a, there's a casing in the water. Oh, wow. And uh, it was just one of those ones again, where the goosebumps start and it's like, he just found this casing submerged in the water. Right. And, and we proved that he did shoot towards the road and 
and um, it helped the obviously the case with that. But um, yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's another one of those goosebumpers, right? That you just yeah. sit back and go, wow. <laughs> yeah, shoving his head in the water, and you're like, what the heck is he doing? And then you go over. And yeah, it was just one of those is. things. What are you doing, buddy? And I look down, and there's the case, and he's sitting there submerging water. So the even the OPP uh, officer mentioned it the other day. He's like, I remember that. He says, I remember that like yesterday, and I still tell that story. So and that made the case. It did. Yeah. It, it locked the case up because it proved the guy shot towards the road. So mm. can't beat canine partners. <laughs> no. And that's it. And, and we all know too, right? Like it's, it's one of those things that you just, you don't know. And I, that's what I keep trying to tell all, even our field officers that you just don't know. So mm-hmm. we're here, we're available. Call us and, and let the dog figure it out. And- yeah. And sometimes we feel bad about calling you, but at least I, I, I never felt bad. I'm like, we need a dog. We need a dog. And then we'd call and sometimes the closest dog was two and a half hours away, but we need a dog. So let's, let's, let's get that dog up here. And sometimes it pans out and sometimes it doesn't. Cause you know, I, I've, I always, me and John always say that the, the cases that we remember the most are the cases we didn't make, they burn, they burn in me. And boy, we worked a, a dog so hard to, to find a trajectory, to find a, a bullet and we never came up with it, but that dog worked his butt off for us. And you know, whether they picked up their casing, whether they did shot from a whole different point, but I can just remember calling and we kept working this and working that. I mean, we, we spent eight hours, that poor dog would take and give him his little break and stuff and we'd be back yeah. at it and just work, 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 work. And then, you know, the next time we'd come up with gold. So it's, it's, but it's just, it's a tool that it's just so awesome to have. And when, when they make those, you know, stellar cases, when they make that big case and they are the whole key to it, that's the reason he fell in that shell casing and submerged water. You know, that makes that game warden next time. Colin, I don't care where he is. (laughs) They don't, they love coming. They love working. And we love seeing him. Wake him up. He's at home. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, guys, I think about all those cases, Wayne, you just talked about that. We talked about on other shows, those ones that haunt us because mm. we were burned and we didn't make them because of all the effort we put into them. The crazy part about that is that's when we didn't have dogs in our agency. I think about the uh. cases that I got beat on good cases, whether it be baiting, uh, you know, commercial wildlife, could have been a game know, changer. waterfowl baiting, especially big game baiting. <clears throat> It was before we had dogs. And then now that we have them, and I think Jordan, I think Apollo, and I think all of our, you know, bite dogs that are dual purpose as well on detection as well, Sean, we don't get beat that much. You know, once you make that connection with you as a good handler, and then you're integrated in with that dog, you, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir on this. You generally, if the evidence is there, you're generally going to find it, you know, 99% of the time and make that case. And that's really changed the game for us in the thin green line of conservation wildlife enforcement, I think, is because, uh, you know, with most agencies down here in the U.S. and like you guys are doing up there in Canada, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a new science if you think about it. Yeah. Um, in 15 years max that we've really had dogs and some agencies are just starting to, you know, start to get that knowledge from other states that have been doing it and going through their growing pains like, like Wayne State and my, and, and my state on the West Coast. So I, I, I think we don't get burned that much when we have these dogs, especially with a good dog connection like you've had with Timber and Blaze. And, and that just uh, that gives me the chills, man, every time thinking about, hey, you got me once, you're not getting me again because I have somebody I can call yeah. if I don't have the dog with me. It's, it's really cool and great to see it's working out so well for you. Yeah, and, and we all know, right, it's the time and effort you put into these four-legged partners and, and the training and what goes in behind it. And that's just you just want that phone to ring and – 
and we all know, and I, and I can say it here too, is that we sit home or sit at home and wait for that phone to ring. And yesterday was a prime example. It's always that unknown and unexpected. And it was one of those calls again, that they, they already went in looking for the evidence and couldn't find it. And I said, well, I can, another officer called and I said, well, I can make my way over there. And I said, well, I'm just going to take him down this other trail because I think, you know, this is just to cover it off and just turn the corner. And sure enough, it was in that gunpowder wag happened. And I'm like, there it is right there. And it's just that unknown again, right? It's, it's amazing what those dogs can do. Yeah, for sure. What do you see the differences in law enforcement between the U.S. and uh, Canada, Sean? Just uh, if you could kind of highlight that on us. I always see Canada is progressive. I did a training up there 20 years ago and, you know, just uh, I think some of the things we're doing now you did 20 years ago and and things like that. So there's there's a little difference for sure. Certainly you, you want to, you work under a Queens warrant. We work under, you know, United States constitution. So there is some differences, but there's a lot of similarities as well. Yeah. And I think one of the big things for us here in Ontario, um, like I can't speak for the rest of the country, but I know in Ontario, it's, if you're a game warden in the States, you know, most of the States, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, is that you guys are basically, uh, you know, if you want to call you state troopers or you're sworn under that, like you guys can enforce basically any law in that state where Ontario were basically sworn as conservation officers and we're deemed only to do our fish and wildlife enforcement. So I think that's one of the big differences I notice, especially now that we have an opportunity to watch you guys hand in hand with the, with the, you know, wild justice and, and Northwoods law, we get, we get to watch that. It's a little bit of an eye opener. And I even have the opportunity to go on our, the, the, the uh, Nauia conventions and being able to talk to a couple of officers. And I, I just notice our, that's a bit of a difference as well. I, I believe is, is having that overarching authority throughout your whole state where we don't quite get that here in, in an Ontario where we're deemed to do fish and wildlife. And it's, there's pros and cons to both. Right. But, um, I think that's one of the huge differences I do notice, Wayne. Okay, that, that's 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 a huge difference, and we never had motor vehicle powers until a few years ago, and it was always frustrating when you see those criminal things and you you, you act because you don't want to drunk on the road or something like that, and then sometimes it got thrown out of court because there wasn't a police officer close enough to take it over or whatever. It wasn't never that initial contact; it was always the the amount of time usually detained and being remote that was thing but it was frustrating so do you find it frustrating at times oh oh most definitely right and, and i think it all depends on on the officer obviously and we mm-hmm. and i think you get that throughout north america or even worldwide that if you're a game warden a lot of us signed up to this job to do game warden work and that's essentially it right like but when it spills over you you, you run across that no matter where you go and i say it all the time here in ontario and i'm sure it happens in the states is that the people we run into most of the time are 99% of the time are fine. They love to see you. They, they're resource users. They, they're happy to see you because you're protecting that, that big, big white tail that they're chasing after for the road hunters or the trespassers. And, mm-hmm. and that it's given them the opportunity to harvest that target buck they've had. They've been hunting for the last three months. I, I, but then also you, you sit back and like you said, Wayne is, is we're a pretty big province and you're calling for backup or you may have seen something that, you know, we may not have the authority to deal with and it's, they're an hour to two hours away. So it, it's definitely frustrating for some, but for some, maybe not. But I think for the most part, it's, it's a, a tool, maybe always good to, to have, but you know, we, we deal with what we can and 
and and we have some really good officers here in in Ontario as as most of North America and, and it's great to see that passion and we all sign up for that thin green line passion of being able to protect our resources and and that's our main mandate and and what we want to do so and, and I noticed too in the states as well is that we are Ontario Provincial Police are the main responsibles for basically any collisions. So that's motor vehicles, also with snowmobiles and and boating collisions. So we have the authority to deal with um, with all of those, but we don't deal with any collisions at all. It all gets reported to our Ontario Provincial Police. I like that idea. <laughs> and there you go right so some, some of us like it and some of us don't but it doesn't tie us up and we can go out and do what we want to do right so yeah, absolutely <laughs> and how you know give everybody a, a, an idea how big ontario is like if we we drove from the 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 border north just to how long would it take because that that gives get people a, a pretty good idea how massive this province is yeah, so it, it basically would take you over a day to drive from basically one end, like you're talking over 24 hours 24 to get hours. from one end to the other. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> so I, I listened to a couple of your podcasts earlier, and I know you had some handlers on there, and I got a chuckle out of one of them mentioned about how you had to drive a couple hours to go to training, and I, and I got chuckling out of that because I have to drive more than that just to go respond to a call. Mm, yeah, no, no doubt. And we did some... We did some training here up in Northwestern Ontario once. We, we kind of mixed it up a bit to relieve the travel time on some of our other partners and, and handlers. And my, my partner here in the south, we drove to Thunder Bay. And it's a day. It's basically one day you're on the road driving to Thunder Bay. So, you know, it's a, it's a long day just for us to drive. But just think of the dogs right in the kennels and, and just being on the road for a full 24 hours driving up there. So, yeah, it's a huge, huge province. Yeah, no doubt. It's just, it's just massive. And, you know, Nick Bronson in uh, Nevada, when I interviewed him, he was talking about sleeping in his truck and stuff. And I'm like, well, why would you do that? He goes, because I drove eight hours to get there and I still haven't investigated yet. I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I never thought about that. He's like, find a cell phone signal, tell yeah. the wife you're not going to be home and you're crashing in your truck. And I'm like, wow. I, I, you know, I, tr- I slept in my truck a few times, but I could have gone home within a couple hours. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, it just gives you an idea. Then, that's where I'm fortunate enough in Southern Ontario. And then Wayne and I, we talked about it because of our road system down here. Like I, I can respond to a call and be home for the most part. It'd be a 10 to 12 hour day, but at least I'm home sleeping in, in, in my own bed and, and with my family. But a lot of my other partners and handlers, they, they always pack an overnight bag because they just never know where they're going to end up and, and they'll end up having to crash at a hotel or an officer's place and they're there overnight. So Right. The differences between being a boat guy and a and a canine. I still want that like first story, like the first good game warden story that you can remember when you you came on. You're fresh. You're new. You're excited, and you you open up and there's a there's over limits. There's this, you know, that that one that still burns. You know, I think we all have them. I know I do. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's the unique part about you said about being a, a lake unit guy to a dog guy and. Being a lake unit guy, like dealing with commercial fish, and I don't know if either one of you've had the opportunity to, to deal with commercial fish enforcement. Right. You know, it's, it's one of those gigs where I said you have to be almost a rain man when it comes to being a mathematician to, to be able to do all the calculations and, and ice and slime. And so it, it was I, I, one of the, I wouldn't quite call it an investigation, but you want to talk about a difference is the smell of pulling a rotten net out of the water. You know, it, 
you have weak old rotten fish pulling them out of an old gill net onto the back of the boat. Like you, you burn your, you burn your gear after you're done doing that. Cause you're not getting that stench out of your gear, but oh, what worse than the dead moose for a week, huh? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the one thing, right. And, and it's different when you're dealing with commercial fish. Cause when you're talking over limits, you're not talking about, you know, you finally got your, your target poacher that caught, you know, two fish over the limit on a, on a prized brook trout lake. It, it's, you're dealing with thousands of pounds and, mm. and, and, and trying to deal with that. So it's a, it's a bigger impact obviously, because it, it they're taking thousands of pounds of fish, not out of the, bo- out of the water, but they're also claiming royalties on that as well. So it, it's a completely different game and talking to people, not knowing about those commercial fish enforcement actually exists here in, in the province. But, you know, it, one of my probably key ones is is going and I was talking about those islands and going out to deal with those islands and some of them are their own WMUs, which we call them wildlife management units here in Ontario. And they had their own deer population on there. And we went over there just to do a general inspection on them and they haven't been checked in a while. And lo and behold, we, we come across eight untagged deer. Um, wow. So it lead into a big investigation involving search warrants and, and a bunch of stuff. And um, it's definitely an eye opener and one that ingrains my mind. I remember taking our, our 32 foot vessel and having eight deer on the back of that vessel heading from the Island back to the mainland. Cause we seized those deer off the Island. So, and I still have that picture cause it's just one of those ones that you, you probably will never forget. So. Oh, you're gonna have to send it to us so we yeah. can put that out there for people. <clears throat> yeah, no, for sure. And so, so yeah, it's definitely unique, uh, Wayne, when it, when it comes to different stories, because um, it, it's one case I know I dealt with here and down south when I was a lake unit, but I was on the uh, work in the mainland for the deer hunt. And it was just trespass is a big thing for us, trespassing the hunt here in southern Ontario. And it was one of those ones that actually helped me probably get on the canine unit because it was a it was a case that involved everything and it involved doing you know statements and and dealing with with suspects that didn't want to cooperate obviously and it, I had to get forensics involved and I called canine in at the time to find casings for me and prove that they trespassed and shot from from different locations where they said they didn't and it just kind of one of those one cases that this you had to use every tool possible, but it came so well together at the end of it when ballistics came back to match casings to guns and, and that the canine found the casings at the time. And a good friend of mine and partner still over in Bancroft, his old dog Tanner came over and found the casings for me and, and sending the ballistics away. And then having that to go back to the suspects and saying like, you know, we, we have you guys red handed. So here's what we have. And, they've been doing it for years down there trespassing and this no one's ever had the opportunity to catch them. And this, I was just in the right place at the right time and be able to be on top of it and collect the evidence and, and follow through with it. So, and it, it one of those ones matching, you know, the, the old peeling off, we had a, a our old tag system was the, the sticker type tag and people would notch them out. And we always used to love the backing of the tags left behind because you could match the backing of that tag. If you cut the deer off the, off or cut the tag off the deer to match that backing of the tag to say, well, this is your tag peel. And it was found on property you're not supposed to be on. So hmm. that's interesting. Uh, it's how many officers in Ontario? Cause it's quite a feat to get on this canine unit, isn't it? Yeah. So right now we're probably sitting at, and, and um, my numbers may be a bit off, but probably about 165 ish field officers mm. for the province. <laughs> and, and we have six canine. Six. Wow. <laughs> that's that's thin, you man. won a lottery man wow <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, yeah. No wonder you guys are driving for days. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, we need to advocate for more canine handlers in Ontario, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, winning the lottery. So it's quite the selection process. Uh, that 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 that's tough. And usually, junior guys don't get on, do they? Not not normally. No, they don't. And, and it, it's definitely like you said. It, it's a tough sell, and and it's it's also a tough sell to get senior handlers to apply as well because of this of the time you're on the road and and all over the place. You you have those officers that already you know have a family and, and they're basically have their lifestyle the way they want and it's yeah. they don't want to sign up for the canine program because you don't know where you're going to end up and, and where you're going to be so it's it's definitely a, a program that that is underutilized I, I would say that and then we, we always want the phone to ring and, and hopefully more people will call and and because that's what we want to do and we both all three of us know that there's nothing more than and working that dog and yeah. so it's it's definitely a program that that we that is obviously utilized and needed, and it, it's yeah, it's like you guys said, it's it's winning the lottery for sure, and 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 having that opportunity to to handle that dog and and drive around and, and assist where we can, it, it's there's nothing like it. Mm. Well, it's certainly a great fit for you, brother, and I'm certainly glad you got to get into it early because you just exemplify what a good handler and what a good dog together are, <laughs> and. We've talked about this before, but I can't emphasize enough how much work goes into that process of being an effective canine handler, the sacrifices we all make, you know, on the family front that, you know, our family members have to pretty much live the live and breathe a thin green line lifestyle at 24 seven. But you guys as dog handlers are triple taxed, you know, and I think of all my handlers on the Met team when we were doing special operations and running dogs myself beforehand on, on the on the less intense front. Um, it, it's no easy feat, man. So kudos to what you're doing. And yeah, and like Wayne said, six dogs, <laughs> six handler combinations for your giant province just blows my mind. So great work. And uh, I, I hope you guys do get more dogs. And I'm sure you'd be a big part of making that happen, given given what you've uh, accomplished so far. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, just uh, the 24-hour drive. I think I can get to Colorado in 24 hours. So just yeah. to give people an idea <laughs> how, how big yeah. that promise is and for five our six canine handlers to, to be in that is just a, it just blows my mind. And it was very it's an awesome opportunity to talk to one of those canine handlers uh, who's also the president of the Conservation uh, Association as well. It sounds like you're, you're, you're a very active game warden, Sean, and we appreciate all you do uh, advocating for our, our job personal dedication because it is it's a lot of extra with these dogs if they live with you they breathe with you you have your retired dog you have your new dog timber and blaze is that is that a wood blaze too is it all a wood theme did you name them both i'm just i like little things like that yeah well, well timber i named um so it it was actually the, the timber was named after his eyes to be honest um his eyes he has that golden colored eyes and they remind me of a timber wolf so ah. that's how I kind of dinged off timber with him. There it is. Nice. Um, and my wife, well, give my wife credit, I guess, for blaze, just because his coloration and fire kind of looking. So it, it, this, he has that blaze look into him. So that's how we ended up getting his name. So Cool. And we're definitely going to put up pictures of both of those dogs. Big uh, yeah. yeah. That, that's pretty awesome. No, thanks. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know if we're closing off here, but I, I just wanted to make sure I give kudos to both you guys as well. Um, you know, you're both, well, Wayne kind of sounds like he's still active, but I guess he's semi-retired, I guess is the easiest way to put it. But uh, 
you know, just to both of you guys for the advocate of, you know, still spreading the word on game wardens and the thin green line and promoting who we are. And no matter if we're in the Canada or the U S it's definitely an under-recognized profession. And, and a lot of people don't know who we are and what we do and, and to the extent of what we do to protect, um, you know, those natural resources and throughout North America. So I just want to say thank you to you guys for uh, still promoting that and putting your work and time and retirement. And it's, it's crazy. So kudos to you guys. And I appreciate it. No, we, we appreciate the support, man. And you know, you know, it's a way of life. It didn't end when we officially became retired from operations. So I just, I just call this phase two. Wayne's in his phase two. And we're, we're really blessed to be able to do this and spread that thin green line lifestyle because it's in our blood. It's a way of life. I always say, we've always said it's never was a job or a profession. It is and was a way of life. And it will be until, um, until I leave this earth, you know, and I'm sure Wayne feels the same way. So we appreciate the support just by having you come on because it expands, you know, how limited our thin green line is. And it doesn't matter, you know, we don't see the, the, the patch design from the state you're in or the province or the country. We're a brother and sisterhood of game wardens. That's the bottom line. And you're right, Sean, we have been vastly underrepresented with the legitimacy of the diversity of what we do, as you know, and the challenges of what we're taxed to do all over the world. And that's just uh, starting to, you know, gain fruition through TV shows, through podcasts, through the work you're doing, through the work we're all doing. And, uh, and I think we're still, we're still underrepresented in a lot of ways with the legitimate stuff we're doing uh, in the, in the general law enforcement community. So we're going to keep, we're going to keep pushing on that, man. So Thanks for being on the show, number one. Great to finally get Canada and a, and a brother that, that yeah. I already know. And, number 50. You know, working on there and a canine handler to boot. And if you can spread, keep doing what you're doing, we'll, uh, we'll keep at it. Awesome. And for our listeners, you can actually see this on Patreon. So we'll post this interview on Patreon so you actually get to see it. And before we leave, we got one more thing we got to talk about here. Look at this. You know, hear that noise, John? That, that noise? Oh, you got it. Uh, you got the flip. Yeah, the flip. The, the <laughs> noise. Everybody should know what that noise is. Listens to Warden's watches. So listen to that. I got to put it near my mic. But uh, you know, I think you're going to be able to get these. The John Norris knife here, and that's what I got right here. I'm excited. Uh, this is a heck of a knife. So if you haven't ordered for Christmas yet, and you get you're thinking, you know, what can I get that outdoorsman or anybody just to carry it all the time? Uh, window breaker on it, seatbelt cutter, John. I'm, I love my knife, man. You did an awesome job for any first responder. Uh, my wife wants it in pink, though, so special run pink ones, okay? Um, <laughs> you can uh, handle color for the ladies. I get that, it. That's right. That's right. Could be, so. a, top, could be a top seller. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it would be. I think you'd be surprised. <laughs> and, that, and Wayne, when you mention that, I am actually running a, a holiday special right now. That's a It's a copy of Hidden War Personalized. It's a thin green line trailblazer folding knife personalized. And Sean, for all of us on the canine front, a limited amount of canine Phoebe Memorial Thin Green Line Extra. I won't give away what it is, but it's something that's discontinued that our foundation put together. And I only have a handful left, but they are going out for free as a Christmas gift with these combinations to really honor our canines everywhere, not just the amazing career of canine Phoebe. So um, hit me up if you're interested in that. Yeah, Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sean, for being a guest. And uh, thank for your dedication and to the wildlife of North America, man. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, 
and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.